We are back in the saddle here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Andrew Callahan and Sean Fitz back after a one-week hiatus because Michigan is in town. It's the whiteout weekend. There is no better weekend to talk about Penn State football. Uh, But because we don't let anything slide here on the podcast, I need to go back to the first couple of words that I said. Back in the saddle. This seems to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, to be one of the key phrases that we still use nowadays but should probably be retired because how often is anyone getting into an actual saddle? (laughs) That's a great question. Actually, no. That's a question. I'm not sure if it's a great question. But yeah, we could probably retire that one. I I just hear that song playing in my head and you're probably too young to remember the Back in the Saddle song. But uh, Well, I'm glad you brought up the song because another phrase that kind of falls in this category sounds like a broken record. No one is like, can you imagine explaining the concept of records to your kids? You uh, are just searching for things to talk about with your Red Sox out of the playoffs, aren't you? Wow. <laughs> you you have no, nothing in retort except for that? No, not really. No. All right. All right. I feel like there are a lot more phrases out there. I, f- I feel like we're going to be talking about Michigan for a while. So, you know, let's probably so we get, could take our time. Yeah, we can get on to football. Okay. <laughs> There's got to be a football phrase in there too, you know? We've talked about this before. There's plenty of them out there. So. Well, yeah, as I said, it's been a week. We've got lots to talk about besides phrases that uh, should be put to bed for good. We're going to go on with a normal Friday rundown. we got tweet of the week, quote of the week, recruiting talk, when Penn State has the ball, when Michigan has the ball, our 3-2-1 breakdown, and lastly, your mailbag questions. So uh, there's so much to get to. Um, I, I think we've just got to keep it short and sweet to start because a lot of the stuff I just listened towards the end is going to take up a lot of time. So many visitors here. I know you've been going back. I want to highlight that first because this series is taking a lot of your time this week. Um, looking back. Looking back. White out visitors. We started 24-7 Sports in 2010, and that's where I started this little series that I've done this week. And a lot of you have checked it out, and we appreciate that. Um, it's been fascinating to see – the names that have popped up from from all the way back, um, you know, going through the Paterno years and O'Brien was here for a couple of years and then Franklin, just seeing the talent level that Penn State's been able to bring in for the whiteout game is is one thing. But then I, I'm comparing them to last year and then this year's list and right. it just keeps getting better. I mean, it, it, it's funny to see where they were at one point where you were hosting maybe, you know, three or four really good visitors for that class and maybe a couple for the next class. And, and you sort of built, uh, just, it's built up the last couple of years. And, you know, I'm going through my list right now for the, for the, um, the game this weekend. And we've got over 25 guys confirmed that have scholarship offers from Penn state. And that's not including the commits last year. It was 17. And then of course they offered a couple of guys that weekend, but last year it's 17. And and that was by far the most for a long time. So just, they're just ramping up the levels. Uh, Penn state's whiteout is, is its best opportunity to showcase its best, you know, on field football atmosphere, anything you want with that. It's their best opportunity to do so. And to have these kids, come in it it leaves a lasting impact and and i'm seeing first round picks i'm seeing guys who you know stuck with penn state um through the sanctions i'm seeing guys that uh you know committed to penn state and then flipped somewhere else later and you know maybe had a good career maybe flaked out and i'm and i'm seeing guys that penn state had on campus they didn't offer and then maybe all of a sudden they're they're potential first round picks first second round picks so it's just fascinating to see you know with recruiting there's always going to be hits and misses but it's just fascinating to see the amount of talent that penn state State has had it's just it's just 
fascinating. I mean, it's just uh, I hate whiteouts uh, in terms of recruiting weekends. What? There's so much work that goes into recruiting weekends. And and, and you're talking – this started a couple of weeks ago with reaching out to prospects and everything and then following up with them. And there's there's just so much talent on here and it makes so much work for me and I hate it. It's crazy. I'd I'd rather see you know Indiana come into town and have them host five guys that I have to follow up with. But You know what you should uh, do? What should I do? Bite the bullet. Oh God! You and another, your saying another phrase. Another needs phrase. to be retired. We have not done that, I believe, in hundreds of years. I'd prefer not to bite the bullet at all. But, yeah. uh, okay. All right. Well, I said we were going to keep this short and sweet. Yeah. Bottom line with that series, it's been a great series. You should check it out. Uh, I know you tease the first round picks that you know have come and gone without offers. That reason in and of itself is good trivia and one you should you know bring you to those There's galleries and check them who, out. People that walk away from that angry with yeah. prior staffs, maybe even with this staff. I'll, I'll get to those 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 guys at the end of the week. But yeah, it's been it's been crazy to see just the amount of talent Penn State's been able to get in because it's not you know it's not Florida, it's not Texas, it's not Georgia. You know the the, uh, the talent's more consolidated there. So is you it know, Tennessee? It's certainly not Tennessee, um, but it, you know you've got guys on here that you know weren't offered and then went and started somewhere. As it's just it's it's great to see how these guys pan out, and there's a lot of you know good kids in there, and there's a lot of stories that you know we talked about a lot at the time, and then all of a sudden you know this guy never plays it down. So um, it's just it, it's really fascinating, and that's recruiting in a nutshell by itself. But the way that Penn State's been able to sort of uh, turn around and monetize this game in a recruiting sense. Uh, getting all these guys to to campus, getting a lot of them to commit, getting some of them, you know, to go elsewhere. It's just it's just pretty crazy. Okay, I'm gonna put you on hold because okay. I have someone on the other line. Oh my goodness! And that would be Butch Jones. The reason I brought up Tennessee, but you wanted to steamroll me anyway to get into tweet of the week. Uh, this is a good one. You found this. It was a quote. It, it kind of you know is a tweet hybrid quote of the week, but it's it's something we we're gonna go with because it's. It's, it's something hilarious. a little deeper than your tale of the tapes. Uh, it's from our colleague Wes Rucker from yeah. um, 24-7 Sports, and this was part of a, a press conference, so a lot of people had this. But Butch Jones, we did everything to win the South Carolina game except <laughs> score touchdowns. Listen, Sean, you do everything covering recruiting except for right about when the kids commit. Like, you do everything great. Like, you just, you know, we recruit really well except for get the kids to, to sign a national signing day. Good Imagine Lord, if you had said that. I mean, c- come on, Like, man. we this record guy- the podcast. We we just we just don't hit finish. This guy needs don't be, post it. This guy needs to be fired, and that's I don't I don't think there's any doubt about that. But he just provides so much entertainment for people that aren't Tennessee fans. I don't want to see him go. It's just you know the, the champions of life, the leadership reps, the everything but scoring touchdowns to you know to get. It's just he's he's the gift that keeps on giving for anyone that's not on Rocky Top right now. It's it's great. Definitely in the SEC, Alabama thirty five point favorite. Yeah, over Tennessee that should not happen. Tennessee is a great program, and it's just where this has gotten. There's no coming back from this, in my opinion. No. So. Okay. On the quote of the week, this came Wednesday after practice, chatting with Sharif Miller, talking to him. You know, oh, t- we're going to talk Penn State today. Yeah, we are going to talk Penn State. Um, do, you, do you want me to bust out another phrase? I got another one. I'm sure you do. All right, go. we're going to get it later. Um, but there are a couple questions that inevitably always come up when, when we speak with players, James Franklin, whoever it happens to me, and it's typically, what are you seeing from player X or offense Y on tape? So we asked Sharif Miller, listen, you know, Michigan's offensive line is different than you've seen in years past. What do you see when you look at them? And he was very frank, as he is always very honest with us. He goes, quote, they're a big physical offensive line. Ain't nothing we haven't seen before this year. It ain't nothing special. Obviously, they're a big offensive line. That's all I can say. You sound just like Sharif, too. I do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, that that's not wrong. I mean, they they've had their issues up front, no doubt about it. They've they've had some injuries and have some, had some moving pieces, and they're big. But yeah, I don't think they're particularly good. You saw in the Michigan State game, they you know they got handled up front. So um, he's not wrong. Um, little surprised to see a, a Penn State player because they are so well coached in terms of media and talking and everything like Just that. Being boring. You, do, you don't see them provide very much in terms of bulletin board material. Not that this is great bulletin board material, but you don't, you don't see that too often. So Sharif uh, channeling his North Philly roots uh, did not really hold back or anything like that. So uh, kudos to him, and, and, and he's not wrong. Bulletin boards, uh, not quite too old, but I think that maybe another – you just did it on your own. Oh. Isn't that fair? I think it fits in the category. Uh, you play to win the game. Anyway. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. Just just to put a bow on that, I think when you look at this offensive line, you know, it is big, it's physical. They're similar to Penn State in that the real issue has been at right tackle. You know, they've been leaky in pass protection. They didn't give up a single sack against Indiana last week. We'll get more into this when Michigan has the ball. It is different, but I would worry in terms of overconfidence because I think they're coming from a place of where they acknowledge they need to work harder and not that Penn State's not going to give it all on whiteout weekend, but with the success that that front seven has had against lesser competition, they have a greater chance of thinking higher of themselves than they've really played up to. Whereas Michigan might say, okay, we're better than we've been and have all the motivation to go out and prove it. And that could very well come on Saturday. So I think it might be a little bit of a shock because to me, this is definitely going to be the most physical team they've played. A lot of Wisconsin wanted to do is just kind of stretch outside snow stuff. Michigan's going to come and step right into your chest and, and try to run the ball down your throat. Yeah, they're going to get eye formation. They're going to go. And I think a lot of people are going to like that. But um, it, it, it's one of those things where I just I don't think the talent level or I don't even know if it's the talent level because there's a lot of prob- potentially no. NFL talent on on that offensive line. But at the same time, I just I, I, I think Penn State has the advantage up front um, I think Michigan you know aside from the running game is going to try and get the ball out of the quarterback's hands as quickly as possible and that 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 could cause Penn State some issues um, you know I see Miller and Buckholz and those guys got to get their hands up this week I mean I, I think that'll be something that can really alter a couple of drives you get your hands on a pass uh, not necessarily tip it up to be picked but you know uh, you know cause them to, to, to take a third and long or something like that so I think that there's some pressure on the defensive ends this week but I, I like the match matchup in Penn State's favor. Now, did Treif Miller or Ryan Buckholz ever visit during a whiteout? Because you would know that. Ryan Buckholz did. Um, yeah, I, uh, he was in, I believe, the 2014 whiteout or 2015. I, I just looked at it real quick. Um, I guess it would be 2014. It would be 2014. Yeah, he he um, he was part of that, but he was not on my all whiteout visitor list. Or, yeah. Excuse me, on my all whiteout visitor team, which I just put it together 10 minutes before we went to the podcast. But it was pretty fun to go back through. Um, I went on uh, – college production so you're not going to see a lot of the 2016 2015 and even some of the 2014 guys that visited um on the list but yeah i mean some really really good players some good position groups some not good position groups so it it was pretty fun to put together all right do you want to run this down really quickly yeah let's do it real quick uh quarterback what's interesting about quarterback is a lot of times by the time the whiteout game rolls around we said really quickly uh, yeah i know but but these guys are committed (laughs) already so uh of course christian hackenberg was at the the 20 2012 game. Uh, Jarrett Guarantano, who started as a redshirt freshman his first game um, uh, this weekend against or for, for Tennessee, um, you know, he was there in the 20, 
uh, 13 whiteout game as a 2016 recruit. So um, getting these guys on the campus was something that, that all these uh, staffs did. Uh, the running back, Saquon Barkley. Rutgers commit Saquon Barkley. Actually, mm-hmm. the 2013 and the 2014 games, um, I could have looked for others, but I'm not sure why I would have. No, um, no you Barkley. did a, a good job stopping there. Receivers sort of up and down. Uh, Chris Godwin was there as an underclassman, and of course uh, he committed and then came back the next year. Ryan Switzer, um, which is just a, a fascinating story to me because Switzer, you know, uh, I don't think it's any secret that he was probably coming to Penn State. He sat in Bill O'Brien's office, said, "Hey, you can count on me." Um, went home and, and you know just didn't didn't fly there. So uh, ended up at North Carolina. North Carolina's all time leading receiver, uh, one of the great uh, kick return punt return guys in NCAA history, and now with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, Switzer, probably one of the most unassuming guys you'd ever meet in terms of, of being a wide receiver, being a, uh, you know, being a return guy. So, uh, great group of tight ends. Um, that's one thing that through the years, uh, he started with Jesse James. He was there for a couple of, he, Jesse James mm-hmm. was there before Penn state offered him before he was even on the radar for anybody. He was just a big kid from South Allegheny. And then one year, uh, Mike Jasicki, uh, came for his official visit. He actually, uh, went for two whiteouts and, uh, David Njoku, uh, a guy that has now the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. First round pick of the Cleveland Browns got three touchdowns this year. Penn state never offered him. Um, you know, of course they were, they were light on scholarships at that point because of the sanctions. And of course, Mike Jasicki was was a guy that they targeted very heavily, and they got him, you know, largely because of the whiteout. They got him a week after, uh, you know, the the game in 2013. So yeah. you can't really dispute that right now. But man, uh, you get David Njoku on campus, uh, pair him with Jasicki or something like that, and you've got yourself uh, a formidable pair of, of receiving tight ends. The offensive line, uh, Penn State really could have used some of these guys over the last couple of years. Uh, a couple of guys went to Notre Dame: Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey. Um, both potential first round picks. Uh, Brian O'Neill uh, at Pittsburgh is a guy that's a potential outside first round pick. I don't know if he's going to end up in the first round anymore, but guys were talking about a first round pick. He came actually as a tight end, just to tag along with Troy Reader, who of course committed to Penn State and uh, transferred back to Delaware. Um, so they could have used him. Donovan Smith is the only guy that I have as a Penn State guy um, on the offensive line. Uh, he came for his an official visit and and committed, uh, I think, in the, the Army Bowl or something like that. Uh, and then Greg Pike, who was a three-year starter at Georgia. So def- definitely could have used some of those guys in the offensive line. Definitely could have used some of these guys on the defensive line. Rayshon Gary. Yeah, Rayshon Gary was here. Noah Spence was a five-star. Jerron Jones went to Notre Dame. He was a five-star at one point, but that was rated too high. Um, he was also a Penn State commit at one point. He got that out very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, it's not a secret. Um, and then Derek Nadi, um, who is a fantastic player for Florida State, probably going to be a decent draft pick next year. Uh, linebackers down as well. Jason Cabinda uh, was a, another whiteout commit the, the the following week. He was committed to Syracuse. Uh, Manny Bowen came to one as as a recruit. Uh, ben Gedeon, who's with the Minnesota Vikings right now, played at Michigan. He was one too. Uh, the defensive backs, I've highlighted a couple guys, John Reed, Jordan Whitehead, uh, Trayvon Diggs, who you know was a receiver recruit for Penn State, but the, the grades weren't great there, and Demetrius Cox, who went to Michigan State from Jeanette. What's interesting here is the, the level of, uh, of talent among the defensive backs over the last two years just completely eclipses what they were going for in the early part of the decade. Right. I mean, 
you see that on the commit list. You see that on the field now. Just Penn State recruiting such a higher caliber athlete, a higher uh, you know caliber football player in the defensive backfield, um, and it's just a testament to you know Terry Smith, Tim Banks, and and those guys what they've been able to do. And then finally, kickers. Um, that's where we found Sam Ficken. So eternally grateful for that game, no mm. doubt. Um, Ficken's great, um, but uh, Quinn Nordine as well, who will kick for Michigan this weekend. Yep. Uh, regardless, Memorable. yeah, regardless of his uh, off the field. Field uh, question marks. He's a phenomenal, uh, talented, phenomenally talented kicker. So uh, that was just a fun little thing I, I went through to, and put together. Just a ton of talent. A lot of guys that are you know pr- potential first round picks. Uh, Saquon's going to be a f- top five, top ten pick as well. So uh, just uh, a ton of talent, and you know it's sort of a testament given what Penn State went through uh, from coaching staff to coaching staff and sanctions and everything to get that much talent to, cam- to campus in the last seven years has been phenomenal. It really sounds like you put yourself through the ringer there. Whew, boy, I just need another sip here. But uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> well, I'll buy you some time before we get to 2018 because it was interesting to me when we chatted with uh, James after Wednesday's practice just about you know the the logistics of recruiting on a whiteout weekend, which you already talked about. I'd much rather have just a simple. I need to look at you know one, two, three, a handful of guys. Whereas this is a matter of you know they're having so many kids who obviously have interest in, but then they want to bring a couple of friends, and it just you know exponentially grows and, and divides the attention of the coaching staff, which needs to. Coach coach on game day and prepare the team for their biggest home game of the season a year ago this is their biggest game of the season against Ohio State now not so much the case against Michigan but still it's importance almost can't be understated prime time first real test and yet you're not so attentive to the game on Saturday because you need to take care of you know showing various recruits around and making sure that every single five-star gets five-star attention and their families and a couple of these kids are unofficials right uh they, they like to avoid officials we talked about it on the last podcast or, or yep. two ago that they like to avoid officials with these guys and uh, that's the way to go those there's a couple officials this weekend Isaiah Humphreys Trent Gordon Jordan Minor all three guys committed all three guys from from well out of state so um that's coming that's them coming in and with official visits now you can get your parents paid for so that's them coming in for the game getting their lodging and everything like that which they probably wouldn't be able to do so um without the official visit so that's sort of a special exception but at the same time yeah you you want to have as much focus as you can on the game they have seven full-time recruiting staffers and then a bunch of guys that, that also work with that that number is up from i guess from when i started covering this from billy cavanaugh from one so um <laughs> penn state's really expanded in that area um they're going to have over 100 kids on campus um a ton of quality kids but a lot of uh don't want to call them hangers on but friends and other guys uh of the like so um they've got those full-time guys there justin king michael villagrana kenny sanders uh ej barthel just uh, the list goes on real inside uh, baseball here yeah uh, of guys that are gonna host these guys be around them um you know to tell them to be in the right spot take them out on the field meet franklin see the the team come out of the tunnel and then get them situated that's a tough job that's a lot of kids to keep track of um there's there's obviously a lot of things that can potentially go wrong we've seen it go wrong with guys that don't get the attention that they feel that they deserve or just someone shows up like gets stuck in traffic on saturday which is inevitably going to happen for someone and then you've got to put your schedule back to adjust for them and and they don't all have bikes like you to get there no no so but yeah i mean having seven staffers is very good um they could probably use a couple of more especially if they're going to continue to recruit at this level so um but yeah you look back at last year and i i highlighted i think five guys four or five guys uh shaquan anderson butts uh juice scruggs justin short 
shorter Ricky Slade that were in the house last year. Um, beyond that, uh, you've got guys like uh, Tyreek Smith, Micah Parsons, Rasheed Walker were all here last year. They remain on Penn State's very small 2018 board. And there, I've got a list probably here of, of 20 guys that were, you know, FBS talents. And, so, you know, some of them got offers from Penn State, some didn't. Um, it's just like the, the talent level at these games is just insane. And uh, it's going- the same for this year, too. It's the same for this year. Uh, We have a list over 25 uncommitted kids with offers, which is just crazy. 17 last year. Um, You know, I'll run down a couple of the visitors here. Five five stars, um, you know, from from the 2019 and 2020 classes. Of course, 2020 is is still very early. But uh, Zach Harrison, who we highlighted on the site yesterday, a defensive end from Ohio. Devontae Dobbs, we talked about on the podcast last week from Michigan. Uh, And then three 2025 stars, Brian Brzee, who's the number one overall player in 2020. Penn State's made a tremendous impact on him early. Uh, he's going to end up as a defensive tackle. He is from you know the Frederick, Maryland, Urbana area. Um, and I think Penn State uh, will definitely have a shot if they keep, continue on this trajectory that they have there. Chris Tyree, I think Penn State's got a fantastic shot for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, I know Steve Wilfong has his crystal ball in for Penn State. Penn State recruiting running backs probably as well as anybody in the country right now, this side of Georgia. Um, so they're going to have an Im- they're going to have an opportunity to to make another strong impact. This is his second game of the year. Um, Sheridan Jones is uh, a defensive back from Bishop Sullivan in Virginia Beach area. Um, that is a school that has become a powerhouse in terms of talent in the 757. Uh, so to get in there would be great. Uh, Jones, this is his first trip to Penn State, so still a lot of work to do in that regard. And, and, and Sullivan's been good to a few schools, Virginia Tech and, and Ohio State. So, um, so we'll see where it goes with there. Beyond that, I mean – Four-star Cade Stover from from Ohio, uh, linebacker Shane Lee from D.C., Joseph Wilkins from D.C. Yeah, there's a lot of familiar names because these guys, this is the game they circle, and this is the game that they they get in touch with them in July and say, "Hey, I, I want to come to a game this year, but I want it to be the Michigan game." And that's you know it happens, and it, it happens like that. And there's Saturday games, and there's homecoming. Rasheed Walker's not going to come because it's homecoming, and and you'll have that because the you know I know you like to say these are 16, 17 year old kids. I mean, they, it's they, the most they, important thing to remember about the whole process yeah. no matter where you are in this whole crazy world yeah they have lives and and that's something that a lot of people forget this is the penn state michigan game is might be the most important part of your week it's probably not for a 17 year old kid so um but yeah beyond that ronnie hickman from jersey who's been on campus several times kendrell scurry um, a receiver from tennessee who just put penn state in his uh top five i'm gonna check them out for the first time and then you know, i just add a couple more quarterbacks here garrett schrader who we've talked about a bunch who Yep. Obviously, I am very, very high on this young man. He's a fantastic talent, and you know if if they can get him to connect with Joe Moorhead, you know things can continue to go on that in that path. Penn State's in a good spot there, and Taquan Robertson. Uh, Roberson, excuse me, from Jersey is Ronnie Hickman's teammate. They offered him a camp this year. Um, you know, I, I've got a crystal ball pick in for Penn State, and you know, if he's got the opportunity to do so, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to, to see him on board at some point. That's the thing about the Whiteouts, though. I, I can remember very, very few decisions actually coming at the game. Yeah. Um. So, so that might be something that you're looking closer to to Halloween or something like that, where where, where commitments could start to happen as a result of this game. The, the most important thing isn't the commitment that comes in the game. And the most important thing is the lingering effects that this game will have on these 2019 and 2020 kids, and they'll keep coming back because of it. And it's 
the whiteout naturally is a point of conversation this time of year, and it's one that's been brought up multiple times with players. And even James, you know, as we spoke with them throughout the course of the week, and one of the first stories I did this week was how would you describe the whiteout to someone who is unfamiliar with college football and has never heard of or been to this game? And without fail, every player just paused, some laughed, others, you know, chuckled or just goes, I, I, you can't. Like, it's just a different type of chills. You know, DeAndre Tompkins saying you can feel everybody's heartbeat. He said when he was a recruit, it was the most ridiculous environment ever. And I think it's exactly right. I mean, you can see the effects lingering, not only in the fact that these are players who obviously committed at some point after their experience the whiteout game, but that it stays with them, you know, for years down the road and how special it is and then fosters that excitement now as players. And then when they're in conversations, if any of these recruits are on campus, be like, yeah, this is it lives up to the hype at times, even exceeds it, depending on how the game goes. And it's something that does stick with you, not only for those couple of weeks, but as recruits, typically for the rest of your playing career. I've talked to kids who will tell me that they're coming up for the whiteout game and they don't even know who it's against. That's that. That's how strong this brand is right now in terms of uh, what Penn State has been able to do to make this an appealing um, spectacle, really, uh, more than anything. Because, and we've talked about it before, the most important part of these visits is the, the lead up to the game and the first quarter, the atmosphere through yep. the first half. So, um, yeah, this has become a spectacle. It's become Penn State's best selling point in the fall. And, uh, uh, really, it's just it, it, it's been money for them, and they're going to continue to cash in on that. Uh, Twenty-five plus guys that that have offers or maybe are committed elsewhere that are coming up. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be fun. And like I said, I hate it. It's too much work. I hate it. So, <laughs> but after all of that, yeah, there will be football. There will be football. And I, I think we got to start when Penn State has the ball because that's going to be the best matchup that everyone's looking forward to. You're looking at a Michigan defense last year, number one in the country. Before that, Don Brown, of course, is at Boston College. He did the same thing there. It's aggressive. It's man coverage. They're going to disguise. They're going to bring pressure on better than 60% of the time. And for Penn State, you know, offensive line, I think this was where it has to start because we, we talked about Michigan's line and how they've had issues specific to right tackle. Same with Penn State. They have now had a buy to try to work through those issues. It looks like Will Fries will be their answer. I think that's the right one they've steadily improved there with fries but as a whole the biggest problem is going to be the middle you mentioned all these kids who have been offered by penn state and the old whiteout team uh maurice hurst jr does not fit in there because as he was described as the defensive tackle for massachusetts by james on tuesday he was never offered and he has en route to being a first round pick come april he's been dominant he didn't start a year ago which you know speaks to the the talent the head of the defensive line in michigan last season but he has been just a wrecking ball in the middle and last note on him the top rated defender by pro football focus in the country each of the last two weeks yeah he's he's phenomenal and yes penn state probably in hindsight should have offered him and i know there's some guys on our message board that will play some i told you so cards and they're right but uh yeah i mean it's just uh they they're very good up front they're very physical up front penn state uh you know if you're going to point out the weakness in the six and oh start is obviously the offensive line so all that pressure is on them will fries ton of pressure on him grew up a michigan fan by the way um he he's got to be you know sort of a difference maker he's got to take that next step i guess is what i'm going to say he's he's been a redshirt freshman out there he's got to take that next step and 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 sort of grow up and 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 learn on the job um you're looking at the guards as well um they've been slow to get out and pull and it's resulted in tackles for loss so uh, a ton of pressure on these guys up front penn state i think will be able to uh try and take more shots but they've got to have the protection around to do it because that that defensive line is going to be coming for them i'm glad you mentioned the guards too because hearst is going to be a problem primarily for Connor McGovern at center and then Brendan Mann and Steven Gonzalez to his right and left, respectively. On the edge, Fries is going to see a lot more of Rayshon Gary, uh, Chase Minovich, you know, guys who have been equally as productive um, 
a little bit less so than Hurst, but have still deserved the recognition because, again, like any good defense, it starts up front with them, which isn't to discredit anything going on in the back seven. I wrote yesterday about you know how breaking man coverage might be the key for both of these teams because of how darn good they are. So it's really going to be, I think, an uphill battle for Penn State up front as it was a year ago, as it was last year in the whiteout game against Ohio State. Of course, they managed to come out with a win. But beyond the trenches where it seems like Michigan has a decided advantage, it's really going to be interesting to me, as I just mentioned, that man coverage what will penn state do to try and get by what's been a super sticky michigan secondary yeah and penn state the i think the good thing for them is they've worked around this before they've worked around this for for a year and a half so uh they'll be able to adjust on the fly we've seen Moorhead do that at times so um yeah i think it's going to come down to to how much time trace has can he be the guy that gets away from that pressure and improvises and, and i'm looking at guys like uh, mike jasicki i'm looking at i know you've got you're very high on deandre tompkins for this game so you black now and, and, you know, Deshaun Hamilton as well. So those guys, um, you know, need to lose that coverage. And, you know, if they do so, I think they I think they'll be OK. We mentioned we mentioned this early in the week. Michigan's not a team that's going to score with Penn State. Um, especially with John O'Connor quarterback. So um, I, I think that, uh, you know, if they can shake that coverage. And, but they don't have to. That's the thing. Like they can win and they have won with the exception of Michigan State, which the second half was played in the monsoon because this defense has been as good as it was a year ago, which is stunning given it was a historically good defense in all of college football last season. I don't think that will continue throughout the course of the year. Right. Um, but it's still one of the best, if not the best, in college football. And it's, you know, again, not, not to compare to Penn State, which has been tremendous. But I think the bottom line is – with how the game is going to be structured, they need a receiver to step up big time and, and gain that separation. Because a year ago, I'll put it to you this way. You know, you look back through all those games, Big Ten Championship game excluded, where Chris Godwin was kind of quiet. You could always count on him for a third down, for a touchdown, or a big catch. And then usually one of Blacknall, Tompkins, or Hamilton stepped up. So you had two solid options on the outside, Mike Kosicki and Saquon Barkley, of course. This year, they're all kind of playing that number two role to a degree. Hamilton's right. leading in targets. Juwan Johnson has seen his target spike in the last three weeks. But they need someone to step up, as Chris did a year ago, and say, I'm your man. I will gain the separation. I'm going to win this one-on-one because they're going to see one-on-ones all night. all night. Is Saquon Barkley that guy, do you think? Yes, and I think a big reason to that is not only just his you know unbelievable talent, but the fact that they've been waiting to trot out new tricks and concepts this week, which James said as recently as Wednesday that they're going to do. I think that involves getting him out on the edge in the running game. And we heard so much in the offseason, well, maybe not so much, but here and there about he'll be in the slot. He's worked with Deshaun Hamilton, route running, a variety of different things to gain separation. To date, I can count just a handful of times, which we've seen him in the slot, then motion back into the backfield, but nothing running vertically, nothing typically even on a jet sweep. I think a lot of that comes out Saturday. Yeah, the guy that's going to have his helmet uh, or his hat on him all game, Devin Bush, a phenomenal player from Michigan. Um, he, this kid is—he's an excellent player. I mean, there's no, there's no way getting around. He's a pro prospect. He's a three and done, um, in my opinion, and he's going to be somebody to account for um, all the time. And I think you know, I don't see them spying Saquon or doing anything like that because Michigan is so well rounded on defense that they don't have to do that. But yeah, Devin Bush is is going to be a guy that you have to account for in every snap. Yeah, he's leading the team in tackles. He can get in there, be very disruptive with turnovers. I think you could see some of the linebackers, including Bush, see time on Mike Kosicki, and that's a matchup that Penn State will have to win, I think particularly in the red zone. I mean, they're going to be looking to go to him. Michigan, with its man concepts, will run 
run some brackets, meaning you know you could have a safety and a linebacker and an inside out or a high low. Uh, but basically, it's a two on one at the end of the day. And I think that's the guy if you're worried about anyone in a one on one situation, not going long necessarily, but intermediate short routes. Gesicki would be the guy to bracket. So he might see some of that attention. But absolutely, I mean they, they're, they're strong in the secondary linebacker up front. It's an outstanding defense. It's very well coached. And I think you know how well Barkley and those new tricks combine and are executed. In addition to as I just talked about the wide receivers being able to step up that's what's going this game is going to hinge on because i don't think you can claim victory or even just kind of a a a split or a tie up front like that's going to be where michigan wins and penn state has to account for that they have before um but that means winning somewhere else and that's that's their best shot is is outside and with number 26 yeah if they can get a tie up front that's that's a big big win for penn state so uh yeah but uh, when, when michigan has the ball uh, obviously they've sputtered in the last couple of weeks um you know they, they, they got the win over indiana last week didn't look great um in any stretch but uh you know this, this is a solid football team they've got like we mentioned they have talent uh, they have a lot of talent all over the place is the quarterback going to get them there I, I don't see that just yet um of course john o'corn is going to be playing with a little chip on his shoulder from down the road in huntington um but at the same time uh it's just a different team without uh spate in there so um you know you you have down here to expect more play action what what do you see from michigan on saturday well i think if you're michigan you know one of the knocks on them recently in addition to just o'corn's performance and again i want to stress that indiana's got a better defense people think michigan state is played in just crazy weather that you could still manufacture easy throws and reads for him, whether it's with a moving pocket, whether it's with play action, um, or just a variety of misdirection or screens. And I think that's what we're going to see because, again, outside of what I just mentioned, providing excuses against Michigan State and Indiana, they have been somewhat predictable on early downs. And I think that has led to his downfall on third down when you're then putting the offense on his shoulder. So I think if they mix in more play action, all those different concepts and ideas, you know, to provide him with some easy throws, find a rhythm, and to deal with that noise where you're not necessarily having to make checks or go through a variety reads that could really settle this offense in early because they're still going to do what they do and and move the ball and pound it down your throat they've got a a good variety in the run game but you know right now they need to shed that predictability label because that will set them back further than anything particularly going against an opponent that's had an extra week to prepare and study you this front seven last year at michigan just got pounded and granted they had some issues at linebacker in terms of injuries and things like that but then an uh, ejection for brandon an ejection from brandon uh just a ridiculous ejection from you almost swore. <laughs> yes, yes, you did. You know how I get very Brandon protective, Smith. mother mother bear right yeah, there. <laughs> well, anyway, um, no, nah, a ridiculous ejection for Brandon Smith, and uh, yeah, I mean they got manhandled up front, and that was the story last year on both sides of the line. Now, fa- fast forward a year, Michigan's offensive line is still a work in progress. They've had some moving parts, as we mentioned earlier, um, and, and, and Penn State's defensive line I think is improved. Of course, you don't have Torrance Brown, but you still got you, you've got Miller, you've got Buckholtz on the other. And I think you have a strong uh, complement of tackles, and I can see them moving those guys around. We saw Kevin Givens playing some defensive end earlier this year um, against a running base team, so you know, they have that option. They can go big up front if they have to. So, um, so I think Penn State's defensive line will be okay, but I, I still think that, that is just key right up the middle. Uh, the tackles uh, you mentioned Chavis earlier uh, this, or excuse me, last week as a guy that's that surprised. I think he can pl- he can have an impact in terms of eating up blockers to free up some of those guys yep. and. Ben has got to stay clean, which he's done 
in recent weeks he's been he's been much better um so i think the the huge pressure on the front seven this week and uh you know michigan's not going to do anything that that we don't expect them to do i don't think the other part about this is i mentioned that the penn state's line has mirrored michigan's in a variety of ways you know you got a revolving door at right tackle leaky and pass protection the biggest difference between the two is michigan despite despite its struggles has really succeeded in short yardage they will throw their weight around it's what they're built on come second and one third and one third and goal they're going to be able to get the job done so again that goes back to how successful are they on first and second down where if it comes down to a corn having to make a play time and time again he'll certainly do that to extend drives and make plays he's a guy who's not afraid to leave the pocket but you know that's an area where i wouldn't feel as confident if i'm penn state although the you know the playing field has shifted a little bit with respect to this trench battle it's not entirely even i think still in short yardage because just like offensively where they're not you know among the nation's best or even above average same for defensively i think michigan still has an advantage and they know it penn state could of course stand up to them in that regard but to date we haven't seen that yet so really first down how well can Michigan succeed? Mix things up. I don't think you'll see a lot of exotic defense from Penn State. They just figure they'll know what's coming from Michigan, still be able to disguise. And a guy I, w- I want to remember because I only said his name 100 times in the preseason, Cole Farmer. Right. But he's been taken off the field a lot lately, whether it's because of blowouts or playing teams like Indiana that want to spread the field, Georgia State too. So they're going into sub packages, which means he's coming off the field. They're not going to play a whole lot of sub against Michigan. They're going to play a base 4-3, meet up against the run. They're going to need him. Teams have been running into the boundary away from him. Where where he's typically aligned to the field. And I think this could be a game where if they're coming on play action and he's coming off the edge and is able to slip his man or goes untouched, that's a strip sack waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Farmer can be a guy that you can disguise so much, especially Michigan's not going to line up four and five wide. I mean, they're not going to try and stretch you out or do anything like that. No corn, if they are four and five wide, it isn't going to be a guy that really beats you. So I, I think that Farmer can be a key. On the other side, you can bring Manny Bowen. I mean, the, the, yeah, the, closer, the closer you get to, you know, Michigan is going to play close to that close to the ball the closer you play to the ball the more options you have with those blitzing outside linebackers and and bowen can be a guy that gets to the quarterback as well um so it it sounds like you're expecting you know a lower scoring game yes absolutely and we'll get into our score predictions saturday with the game day preview because we get to have something for you to nibble on generally yeah just in general just general absolutely i I would be shocked if either team topped 30 points all right shocked underlined um let's go three two one Three matchups. Uh, we talked about, uh, I believe, two of these already, so let's get those out of the way. Maurice Torres Jr., he, he's going to be a load no matter who he plays. He's going to be a role problem for Connor McGovern and um, Brendan Mann and Steven Gonzalez. And we actually chatted with McGovern this week, and he said, listen, I just need to know which guard I'm taking me with the inside zone because it all starts with that double up front, you know, being able to, to release if it's him or the guard to get up to the linebacker because, you know, Bush and company are going to fly fast, but it but it all starts with Hurst. Um, Manu Like was simulating him in practice this week. That was something I wanted to know. You're able to find out. And again, if, if, if Hurst has his way, Penn State's in trouble. So it, it's going to be a matter of how they handle on the edges. And they've got some help, though, there because, again, Kasicki, I think, will be a real weapon in the red zone, and they, they need to find him. Yeah, absolutely. He, he started off the season great and made a midseason All-American team, which is, when you think about the last three or four games, I mean, he really hasn't done much at all. So I think he's going to be a, a big target in the red zone. He's a mismatch. You know, whether he's playing well or not, he's still a huge mismatch for pretty much any team in the Big Ten. So, um, yeah, I think he's, he's going to be a guy. Going back to um, what you said earlier about Hurst, I mean – 
the offensive line d- does not need to think about this stuff. I mean, that that's the problem. And I, and they're not going to get away. There's going to be tackles for losses. There's going to be plays that are blown up and and angry fans and all that kind of stuff. But you know that that's part of the package when you're. It's when, been happening yeah. for the better part of the last season and a half. Well, yeah, basically. And uh, so so they'll be fine. I agree with you 100. percent Jasicki um, is going to be a guy that I think is going to have to find the end zone, and uh, I think he will. Um, he's just such a tough. Uh, touch, tough matchup, and they really haven't gone to him down the field. It's been a lot of short stuff, getting him out in the flats yeah. and things like that. And so. he's been hurt too, which he said he feels phenomenal. The, the bye week was quote huge for him, and you know we'll see how that goes because in practice he's still wearing that rip protector, which I presume he'll also be wearing on Saturday. Yeah. And I would too, knowing how this defense hits, knowing how they cover. You know, he thankfully we talked about man coverage so much, and I wrote about it yesterday. He being aligned off the line of scrimmage about 85 percent of the time, more the H back position will not have to deal with you know shedding a press or having to deal with a different release downfield that becomes more of an issue but i think with his big body plays more to his advantage at that point so he'll be able to get a clean release off the line he's going to be big he's going to be even bigger in the red zone and i would expect a couple of balls thrown his way those are the two matchups where he talked about um the one i've touched upon but the right tackle for michigan juan bushel b should be making another start he did not start week one for the wolverines he's been thrown in there Hurst specifically said he's going to be an outstanding player. His best football is ahead of him. I'm just looking for whoever Bushel Beatty is going to see on the edge, whether it's a Sharif Miller or Ryan Buckholt, Shaka Tony on, on passing downs. As he's able to hold up, that's a huge boost to Michigan's offensive line, particularly in obvious passing situations. But if not, and again, they struggle like they have so far this season at that position, it's a huge swing in the advantage of Penn State. The young defensive lineman, especially to end, is going to have the advantage over the young offensive lineman at all times. And, and Bushel Beatty's not a young, young guy by any stretch of the imagination. Shaka Tony, I think, can, can be a difference maker. He can get around him. He's shown that he's more than just a, a guy that's going to run around you. So I like that um, that matchup to Penn State in, in the pass game. Um, in, in the run game, I haven't seen him, enough of Bushel Beatty to, to, to really you know make a, a strong opinion on him one way or the other. But yeah. Anytime that you can get those guys thinking and moving, it's good for the defense. Three matchups down, two concepts to go. This is where I will take center stage and LBU out, as if this were recruiting in reverse. Um, First one, max protect play action for Penn State. Penn State has seen Trace McSorley throw the deep ball half as often as he did a year ago. Now, this is directly a result of how defenses are playing him. But typically, when you see... Him go deep. He's usually fronted by seven-man protection, which means that's Barkley and Gesicki hanging in after some sort of play-action fake. And to date, they have not been able to hit on this as often as they would like. Again, it's more of a you know accounting thing than versus you know a rate or a percentage. He's you know still hitting about forty-four to forty-five percent of those, but it's taken half of the attempts. So I think when you look at Michigan a year ago, they tried to shed the Wolverines away with screens and a lot of play action. Obviously, that didn't work. He has the worst outing of the season. But when they go to max protected play action, that's put the onus all on him and the receivers we've talked about the need to separate obviously he's got to throw a good ball so if Penn State is able to hit a couple of big play action shots early obviously that sets a tone it puts Michigan behind if not you know this game is going to be more of a struggle and they're going to have to find other concepts to kind of free themselves downfield second one for Michigan this is a duo run which was you know a very popular topic in XNO Twitter and in the internet over the offseason and the best way I can describe it there's for you an is XNO this. Twitter yes there is yeah yeah oh, wow. get, get crazy lead the charge yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> um, duo is a very effective run that's basically like power without the pulling guard. So you've got two double teams up front somewhere along the offensive line, including at the point of attack and the fullback, which Michigan uses almost the entire time. It kicks out the end man on the line of scrimmage. So basically what the running back has to do is follow one of the two double teams and then read the Mike linebacker. If he crashes down, he'll bounce outside and go outside the double team. If he goes to the outside, he'll just follow the double up the middle. Duo is a really great play. You'll see it a lot of levels of you know college football as well as the NFL. Michigan runs it um, expertly, and, and I think if you're going to see a big run from them on a couple different snaps, which again, you know, Karan Higdon can get the job done. Chris Evans a very good back. Uh, Ty Isaac's been productive. You know, it'll probably be behind Duo. Of course, they've got the standard uh, power counter, some uh, counter ISO, regular lead stuff. But but Duo for me is probably my favorite. And again, you know, look for those two double teams up front. That's Duo, and that's the second concept to watch. So Thanks. now on to. Uh, it's not complicated. I mean, it, 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 it. Granted, when you break it down a little bit, it sounds complicated. But Michigan's going to come right at them on Saturday. Well, it, and, the, and the complication is more in that what they do, similar to Penn State in, in a way, it complements one another. Right. So you, you can bet on one or the other happening. But if you're wrong, you could be in a world of hurt. It's not trying to pick one play out of oh they could run a hundred. It's like here are these handful of runs. They run all of them well. And again, if if you go to one side, they're going to be able to hurt you badly um, on the other. Now I talked about Koa farmer getting a strip sack you are not with me on that but you think somebody in the linebacking court is coming up with a big play for your bowl prediction yes and my bowl prediction i think a linebacker gets a pick six i i don't know why i've pigeon my pigeonhole myself at least you didn't make make me uh say which team it's going to be but uh yes devin bush with a pick six (laughs) as reported by sean fitz here of lines 24 7 out ahead of it anyway yeah i think uh penn state when you go into the whiteout you've got these momentum swinging plays that have happened by the defense before um and i think you know penn state i think they're overdue the linebackers are, are due for a pick we've seen a lot of takeaways from that defensive backfield but you know i feel feel good about the linebackers this week if you, if you can get somebody in the flat and get go corn to uh, get a late throw out there or something it could happen and i tell you what if it happens it'll blow the roof off that place okay so you got to pick six i've got deandre tompkins with a big big day your boy i think yeah. it's going to be more than 100 yards for him and here's why he took a back seat to see blacknall at northwestern and then he played only 30 snaps to blacknall's 49 now these are the two fastest wide receivers in the team there's no doubt about that at least those who are going to contribute on saturday so when i look at tompkins the reason i'm going to take him over blacknall assistance is because i think he's their best and most reliable deep threat to date because even though he took 19 fewer snaps he had a team high six catches and saw many more targets than blacknall did i think there's a, a chemistry there not only developing at northwestern but just over the course of the season he's caught 75 76 percent of the balls thrown his way that, that's among tops with Barkley and Gesicki on the team. He's a guy that, again, when they go play action or they want to go deep, he will be targeted. I think he gets 50 to 60 on a big chunk play. That eventually leads them to 100, and eventually a Penn State win. I think it'll be a low-scoring game. Um, but but Tompkins is going to break out, and we've seen him do it last year. You know, he got hurt right. on what should have been a catch against Ohio State. He comes down has to leave the game. But had he made that catch, you know, that sets up Penn State in midfield. It would have been 30 yards for him right there. Tompkins is so underappreciated, not only as a receiver but as a return man he could also yeah. make one of those gain shifting plays in the return game because he's been very good as a punt returner so um 17.1 yards per return yeah it's pretty insane uh it just 
complete change of field position, and we've talked about this numerous times. Penn State's been a phenomenal field position team this year. Yes, uh, Michigan, though, special teams, they start a lot of guys who are offensive or defensive starters on those teams. They're very fast. Um, they'll twist some different things and, and try to confuse you, your blocking schemes. But I, So I don't see necessarily Tompkins getting there and a big impact on the punt return. It could be wrong. Um, same with with the kicking game and Barkley back to return. Just but, got a keeper of Charles from holding. Oh, boy. Yes, yes. Uh, moving on. <laughs> moving on. Uh, mailbag. Mailbag. A couple of questions this week. James Franklin mentioned that they have done some things that will help out the offensive line. What do you think he means? Two tight end sets, more design runs, not RPOs or screens. It sounds right up your alley. No, no, it does not. Uh, two tight ends. I, I, I don't know who you're going you're to put in there. I mean, you haven't seen anything from, from Jasicki all year. And, you know, uh, John Holland's not there. Nick Bowers is, is still working his way in there. And Tom Pancoast isn't there either. So uh, who, who are you going to take off the field to, to put a second tight end, unless it's Tommy Stevens? A couple of things about this. I, I think, as we just mentioned, a season and a half of kind of working around the offensive line, just being totally frank, there, there's a reason they've done that. And there's a reason they haven't had a magical solution today. They're not trying to get out any sort of new solution here against Michigan, the best defensive line that they've seen so far this season. And outside of Ohio State, next week will be the best D-line they see all year. Right. So there's no magical solution coming. Um, two tight end set is not it. They've run two tight end sets out, uh, outside of kneel down plays four times. Three of them have gone horribly wrong. And so I don't count on that. In fact, just given the personnel they have on hand, I'm not taking a third receiver off the field You know, for the likes of, uh, of a John Holland or Nick Bowers or Tom Pankos because what you're looking there is for a little bit more physical and edge up front. None of those guys provide that sort of presence or need. So I would crumple up all the two tight end stuff. I would fire it into the nearest trash bin, and I would say Kobe, and then call it a day, and then save yourself some stuff in the playbook. Um, more design runs. You know, I, not RPS. I mean, even with your design runs, you know, people get upset about the, the delay in the backfield with the handoff, whether it's an RPO read or whether it's a, a read of a particular defender. I think they're going to go a little bit more with the midline zone read. I'm actually glad he brought this up, which will slow Hurst, where Hurst will come into the backfield unblocked. And instead of reading a defensive end, McSorley's going to read him and either hand off to Barkley on the outside or he'll keep it himself and go behind Hurst, who presumably has followed Barkley out onto the edge. I'd follow Barkley too. Yeah, but but in, in that, I think you, you can help them out there by saying don't block the best defensive tackle perhaps in the nation. We'll read him. Because there's more head of time. And again, yeah. yeah, by design. Um, and again, you know, some screens, they, they all their screens really got gobbled up except for the last one when they scored their only touchdown on uh, a year ago, which I believe is Chris Godwin um, and Ann Arbor. So I think Michigan's ready for those screens. They're ready for a lot of man-beating route concepts. When Franklin says they have some things to help out the offensive line, yes. But you know what? If you're Michigan and you're thinking about, okay, what are they going to do to help out those guys? They could probably name most of the things on that list. What will be the difference if they execute it properly will be these new tricks that he's talking about, which no one has any idea about those because apparently we haven't seen them yet. And that's why we wait for Saturday. Yes. Uh, second question we had this week for the mailbag, and it's really the last one. What would a win on Saturday and next week against Ohio State do for the state of the program? How big of an impact could it have? Now, on the face, I'm just going to get this out there. Obviously, it paves the way to the college football playoff and the Big Ten Championship. No doubt about that. Right. Outside of that, though, and I would say probably for you, specific to recruiting, and let's even go 2018-2019, what would that do provided there are no letdowns, which would be humongous against the likes of a, a Rutgers or Nebraska? Michigan State's a different story, but you know the rest of 
the schedule after Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah, I mean, it's the huge hurdle. And, and, and when you talk about recruiting, I mean, it's Michigan. I mean, it, Michigan is a brand name. It's one of the top uh, 10 brand names in college football. And uh, with Jim Harbaugh, it's hot. So, you know, if you can get Penn State to to get over that hump. And and, it, and it's funny because I'll, Penn State's the number two team in the country. They're undefeated. You know, got a they, top five class yeah, already. they've got a top five class. But Penn State, you know, a lot of these kids still view Penn State, you know, a little bit lower than that. So um, it, it's just one of those things where you come out, if you're impressive against Michigan, it's going to impress people. And, and you know, when I say Penn State, uh, these these guys think they're lower than that. Some of these guys have, have Michigan, you know, as, as a more prestigious, a, a more hot program right now. And, you know, that's that that's to each own, to each their own or whatnot. But, I mean, if you look at the records, it's, it's very clearly not that. So it's not always the 6-0. It's not always the record or anything like that. So, But getting back to that, it, it would be huge. Uh, a whiteout win is just something that can can turn your whole season uh, in the right direction. It can it, it can put you – set you up for the, the stretch run in 2018. It can set you up even better in 2019 and 2020. So you know, aside from it being Michigan, Michigan, Michigan – this is something that can have long-term implications, and we've seen that year after year. So, um, big game, no doubt about it. Michigan, you know, whether they're at their best or not, you know, anytime you can beat Michigan is huge for the program. And I would only add to that that I think, you know, as you kind of touched on it, with even you know the 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 level in the minds of whether it's recruits or people looking on about the conversation, Joe, it's oh, it's Ohio State and Michigan grouped together. Which, if you're an Ohio State fan, you go, we've beaten them, you know, a dozen straight times or whatever it might be, or a dozen in the last thirteen, right. and say. Honestly, with the national championships, you know, with the success in recruiting, you know, the rivalry, you know, they're a step above Michigan. I think Penn State will put itself more in evil, even footing there because if you say, okay, and this is really skipping ahead now, you beat both of those teams, first of all. You go on to win the Big Ten championship. Now, regardless of what happens to the playoff, you're back-to-back Big Ten champions. You've gone to the playoff, you know, more than Michigan has since the playoff started. You know, you've gone there. Ohio State's been there, and you've already beaten them. Like, it, it just – puts you into that same conversation where now instead of having to fighting for kids at Ohio or certain areas where, you know, they, they've been so comfortable there for a while, Michigan too, that again, you're just right there and there's no need to kind of, not as much of a need to kind of push yourself higher because it elevates you with these primetime games against, you know, opponents that have matching history right there. Penn State stacked up with anyone from a historical perspective, but in the last decade or two, you know, certainly has not compared to likes of the Buckeyes. Yeah. And uh, I know I'm going to be conservative here and say 90% of the people listening right now hate Jim Harbaugh but it, it, where Michigan stands right now on the field versus where Michigan stands in perception is a credit to Jim Harbaugh and he's done a phenomenal job with that brand and, and getting guys to buy into what he it sees the program as and, and James Franklin it, it has done a very good job with that but I mean you, you look at Harbaugh he's everywhere so I, I, I think he's everywhere and they also I mean he inherited I think a better talent situation than most gave credit for because that team in addition to to, just being loaded with talent was well coached last year they had you know obviously slipped up late and um you know it's going to be all in them now as the program turns over and it's mostly the talent that he's brought in himself and that staff but you know they they stepped into a pretty good situation yeah and i think that what i'm getting back to is harbaugh could win nine games and still have that same perception whereas you know penn state could win nine games and and be taking a step back in that perception i think just michigan has that that sort of that higher floor to go with, especially when Harbaugh took over for Brady Hoke. Um, you mentioned the talent they had, the experience that they had was was just off the charts, whereas James Franklin took over a situation that was not anywhere close to that. So, mm-hmm. you know, Penn State's still trying to work their way up. Michigan, um, 
not on a flat plateau, but you know they they certainly you know given the way that their season could end this season, um, you know could could be down a little bit. So I, I think it's just kind of working toward each other. Is basically what I'm getting at. I'm not saying Michigan's a better program than Penn State or Penn State's a better program than Michigan, but I'm just in, right. in terms of perception, there's a lot more room for error if you're Michigan right now. Okay, we've gone almost 53 minutes into this and not mentioned game day once. Oh wow. This is this is going to be fun. I think this is one you know universally, you know, accepted, celebrated aspect of college football. It doesn't matter who you root for, where you're from. Game day is an outstanding show. I think it's the best sports show on TV. It's going to be in front of Old Main. I know I'm going to go. You know, it's a benefit of being media. We'll be able to be on set, but but close to it. And I think if you're in town or you're around, you know, they haven't been here in years. Who knows when they might come again next? It's a great event. You're not going to go. Um, I don't know that I will go because of the kids on Saturday morning. Morning, but I'd love to. I went. I actually went uh, back in 2005 when they were in for for Ohio State. All right, story um, time. And first take was there, and game day was there, okay. and, and everything like that. And it was it was a good time. Um, but yeah, I just uh, I don't know that I'm going to get the pass for that one. But I know you're looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. What, what would be on your sign? We got a question about that, uh, and, and I want to put you on the spot. There's a reason but... we didn't take that question, though, oh, Sean. Um, see, the thing with the sign, if I'm going to trot one in there, and obviously you're going to see my face below the sign, I want it to be a good sign. It's not just going to be like, you know, go Penn State, which obviously I wouldn't have because, as I mentioned on the podcast, my, my paycheck does not change if Penn State wins or loses. But, you know, if I'm there supporting a team or I'm doing something in reference to this game, I'm going to take some time because, again, like when people go, oh, I know that guy, like, and you're going to pause the tv and you're going to take a picture with your phone and tweet at it or text it like you know not only do you see me but you see whatever i wrote and i want to be proud of that so i don't have anything right off the top of my head i might tweet at you uh later and then be like, hey, we're really good idea. on the revisionist history signs i think we could do that yeah you know? yeah that would be fine I, i'd be intrigued with what you would come up with too uh, um, probably nate bauer cheats at golf i would nate bauer he would just golf. he would yeah. just die if he saw that and actually um the funniest one i saw last week uh joe flacco was an elite quarterback you know that's that's a standard one um, but yeah it's just it, it's really funny because those signs people try so hard to be funny and just most of them miss completely mm. um some of them are the stupid humor remember jt carrot i love that sign uh just that was a phenomenal game day <laughs> sign uh, but yeah I, I, we're, we're great on the revision it, it's one of those things where Oh damn! I, I should have thought of that, you know, a yeah. while ago. So I, I'm you know sure what I would want to do above that, though. Like, forget the sign. I want to meet the people with the wazoo flag and find out: is that coordinated? Is it the same couple? Is it the same person? Is it the same group going to game day every week? Like, you always see that without fail in the back, and they're going to be right here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, now's the time to get some questions answered. I might is. have a Washington State story. The first thing I do on Saturday at Penn State, Michigan. Great, great. We'll take all the content you can hashtag content you can make. So, yeah. uh, but it, we're, we're 55 minutes in. I think people are, are over us already. So we're going to let you go. Um, enjoy your weekend, your whiteout weekend, your Saturday. Thanks for listening. The Lions 24 seven podcast. Uh, remember rate us on iTunes, follow us along or follow along with us on, on everything else. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll see you out there. Yeah, it feels like it's uh, time to, hit the hay well time to throw that one out too huh? yeah you did didn't you <laughs> alright thanks for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast 7.30 I get those goosebumps every time you come around